Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Couldn't get a better morning than uh, this. I, I guess I wouldn't call it balmy, forty some odd degrees, as I was walking my dogs. I have more than one dog, and preparing for this show today, and thinking about what I was going to talk about, and really excited to get at it. Really excited to talk baseball, which we haven't done in quite a, a bit. Uh, welcome to the Talking Mets podcast, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Email me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And of course, you get the show on iTunes, so, uh, not SoundCloud anymore. We, we got rid of that. Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. So welcome in. And what begins today on February 9th, 2020 is the journey that we're going to have together. And as I'm thinking about this show, as I said this morning, I said it's amazing I don't know how this baseball season will go, but we're going to be talking about 
this team and the quest to make the playoffs and maybe compete for a championship because I believe this is a playoff team if uh, relatively if they have relatively uh, relative upside to what could happen in uh, various parts of their roster and we'll get to that but if you think about it the seasons that we go through I was you know and I know that we probably have talked about something like this before but here we are. It's not even Valentine's Day. We have St. Patty's Day, and there'll be still spring training. If you're of Catholic faith, there's Easter. Jewish faith, there's Passover. Memorial Day. Then the the school, if you're in school, school lets out in June, and you have your summer vacation, and there's the 4th of July, and then Labor Day, and then there's the NFL, the new NFL season. We just ended an NFL season. Congrats, by the way, to Pat Mahomes Jr., Patrick Mahomes II, for winning the Super Bowl, by the way. And and then you get into September and football, like I said, and, and then maybe October and hockey in the NBA if the Mets go deep into the postseason. And then maybe you do something special uh, and maybe win a championship. And before you know it, it's November. It's less than a month before Thanksgiving. And it starts all again with the hot stove. And then there's Christmas and then back to the cycle. So what what makes this fun, what makes doing a podcast about baseball, about the Mets fun is that... It's part of our lives every day. I know it's frustrating. And over the last four to six weeks, it's been extremely frustrating, I think, because I think there was information and news that came out that pulled Mets fans away from some of their positivity. But I really am excited to talk about baseball. That's why we do this. We are now talking about baseball. Not to say there won't be news off the field or with ownership or Believe me, there's going to be some kind of nuttiness going on. There always is in this town. But if you've been reading some of the articles that have come out, and our guest today, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, is going to be joining me live from Port St. Lucie from the road. Kevin works so much. It's hard to nail down Kevin because he's either interviewing somebody, on the road going to another camp, just always doing like a traveling salesman. That's what I really compare Kevin to. Like a traveling salesman, he's always trying to close the next deal. And in this case, bring you information that gives you insight into baseball, the Mets. And he's been at Port St. Lucie for a while. I mean, not many writers are in spring training following the players on those early days before the Super Bowl, which is what the case is with Kevin Kernan of the New York Post, America's most beloved sports writer at AMBS underscore Kernan in case you want to follow him on Twitter. So where would I start off here about spring training in my point of view before we get to Kevin Kernan? And usually it's about positional battles and setting the season up, but the Mets, to me, don't have a ton of positional battles on this roster. Uh, your 13 pitchers are set, provided they're healthy. You've got your rotation of DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Porcello. You, you'll have Mats and Waka, I believe, battle it out for the fifth spot, and I wouldn't be surprised if those guys both start, and you really have six starters, because with the six starters, you can play matchups. Mats has been much better at home than on the road. Maybe you start Waka against more righty-laden lineups. It would require a lot of planning, and then days where you would have one guy available out of the bullpen, and maybe the other guy not, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that, so keep an eye out for that, because if they both pitch well, I think Mats, because he's always been a starter, is going to get the nod of the Mets know him, and Waka would go to the bullpen, and Waka's contract was built where I think he's expecting some significant 
uh, bullpen work. I mean, that's just the way it looked like the contract with the game started clauses and what have you, trying to prevent him from being an opener or what have you. So you have that. Now, your bullpen is set. Diaz, Batances, Lugo, Wilson, Familia, Brock, Gazelman. These are all guys with contracts. These are all guys on uh, the 40-man roster. Now, I know Gazelman has some options left, uh, so that's interesting. I, I, you know, he says here on roster resource he's got two options left. So could one of the young arms uh, that we talked about, uh, you know, could a, um, a Steven Gonsalves, a Walker Lockett, uh, one of those kind of guys, Jordan Humphreys, a guy on the 40-man roster, can one of those guys potentially sneak in? We'll see. Uh, uh, Drew Smith, a name that we've forgotten about, who they acquired from Tampa in the uh, Lucas Duda deal. Maybe that guy coming off of Tommy John eventually, I'm sure he'll be depth and an option. Maybe that's something that to look out for. But I think your your rotation is set. Your 13 pitchers on what is now a 26-man roster is set. Now, even when it comes to the positional players, there is a little bit more question there. But you have your regular lineup. Let's assume that's Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, Cano, J.D. Davis in left, Michael Conforto in right, Wilson Ramos behind the plate, and Amado Rosario at shortstop. You have Thomas Nito as your backup catcher. He's out of options, and uh, if the, if they don't have Nito make the roster and they go with an Ali Sanchez or Rene Rivera, uh, they're probably going to lose Nito to uh, waivers as he'd be the perfect guy, especially for a rebuilding team to bring in. He's He's got high upside defensively, and maybe they say he's young enough where they could come in and, and work with him without the fear of having to bench him or send him down because they're not competing. You have Jake Marisnik and you have Dom Smith still on the roster. I think the Dom Smith part is a, is a bit of a surprise. So Dom is going to be your pinch hitter extraordinaire, your caddy to Alonzo, get a little bit of time in the outfield as well. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, old school way of looking at Dom Smith is like pit players back in the 80s, 70s, even in early 90s, even if you were a top prospect, sometimes you had to earn your way onto the roster by being a backup. Ask Dave Mangadon, a guy that was behind Keith Hernandez. And uh, the Mets, uh, for a variety of reasons, only gave him a shot when he finally pushed his way into the starting lineup in a June run in 1990 when Mike Marshall, who they acquired from the Dodgers earlier that season, uh, went down. And uh, they said, hey, Magadan just hit his way into the lineup. But maybe Don Smith at some point does the same thing. Probably the wrong roster to be on, the wrong team, but you're not going to just give away a former number one pick, first-round pick for nothing. Now, where it might get interesting is... The Guillerme Lowry situation because you're you still don't know, and we'll get to Cespedes in a minute. You still don't know what Cespedes' health is. Assuming Cespedes does not start the season on the roster, it's pretty simple. Guillerme and Lowry, to me, Guillerme makes the roster if Lowry's not ready and has to go on the DL, which we still don't know what's going on with Lowry. And then you probably have your Matt Adams of the world make the team because Matt Adams is a bit of a an odd fit, an interesting uh, non-roster invitee, good bat off the bench, good pinch hitter, pretty much what Dom Smith gives you. Now, Dom Smith, again, may, you know that might be a push for him. He's got options. Dom Smith may uh, be down in Syracuse, and maybe they say, look, we'll go with the veteran Matt Adams. Let's continue to have Dom Smith get reps and find out if his, his role in the 2020 Mets season is to be traded for a need somewhere on the roster. We'll see if that's the case. So, um, you know, Matt Adams maybe makes it along with Dom Smith if you already have a Lowry or Guillerme uh, healthy and on the roster. Now, if they if they if that doesn't happen and Cespedes is on the team, this is where it gets even more interesting because you you know there's no room for Adams at that point, point. and maybe Adams has a bad spring and and, and it's a moot point. Uh, 
Um, so there's some moving around there with the 26-man roster, but not much. I mean, it's not something where we were going to be looking at five, six, seven, eight guys that they brought in for different positions for rotation spots. And again, assuming reasonable health, because you don't know what any of these guys, you know, your biggest health risks are Lowry and Cespedes right now uh, coming off injuries. Now, what else will I be looking for? And I think it ties very well into our friend from the New York Post, Kevin Kernan, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer. First things first, you've heard some positive things from uh, Kernan about Noah Syndergaard. And if Noah Syndergaard, uh, who came across in a recent New York Post article, much more mature, much more grounded, much different than the guy that showed up in 2016 on a horse with Ioannis Cespedes, a team to this day that a theme that I felt was so arrogant for a team that did not win, a team that still had a lot to prove, a team that still had to have a workmanlike approach to their uh, their craft and, and were not talented enough to take anything for granted. It's been a long way from that version of Noah Syndergaard that I, I never felt good about during that spring and always have held uh, bitterness towards Terry Collins for allowing that to go on. I felt it set a really poor tone to that season. And uh, this Noah seems to be very self-aware about uh, the need to improve, the need not just to go by his physical talent and his ability to overpower. He has to be smarter. He's been working uh, with CAA and some of their uh, uh, analytics uh, group to to help improve, working with other pitchers so he can get a feel of what they're doing from other organizations. And, yeah, he still does the shirtless deal, which, uh, you know, that's his prerogative, uh, he is who he is. You're not going to take away the flair. You're not going to take away the personality. But uh, to me, that's interesting because I, I sensed from that piece a much more mature Noah Syndergaard. And if Noah Syndergaard could be anywhere near the pitcher that he was in 2016, which uh, was not as good as uh, Jacob deGrom's last couple of years, uh, but was uh, very much... Uh, the second overall, according, according to Fangraph's wins above replacement, pitcher in baseball behind the late Jose Fernandez. You know, what you basically have at that point is DeGrom, and then right behind them you have a version of Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, that kind of pitcher. Even with Zach Wheeler departing, if you compare that rotation with that version of Syndergaard with DeGrom to last year's rotation with Wheeler in the back end, well, guess what? That's a better rotation because you have legitimately two number ones, and and that is really if they if they pitch against a team in a, a short three game set, very difficult to win that series if you're the opposition, and then an even sh- in a shorter five game or seven game series in the postseason, that gives you a really good chance to win a majority of those games that they're in, and that doesn't bring you to how you have a legitimate you know one A or B plus player in Marcus Stroman as number three. You have a former Cy Young Award winner in the back half of the rotation, Porcello, who's pitched in big games. And then you have that Waka Matt situation that we just talked about. So I think the rotation's better, even if you get a slightly better version of what Syndergaard was uh, since then. Um, you know, a slightly better version of what he was last year. But if you get what you got in 2016 and a real have his head on his shoulder, Noah Syndergaard, then that's going to be something really special. Now, the other big thing I'm looking for this spring is Edwin Diaz. Uh, more so Edwin Diaz than uh, Robinson Cano, because I believe the Mets, if Robinson Cano is somewhere decent, I'm not you know, a guy that could play 120 to 130 games at second 
uh, second base, you know, give you those runs, be productive even when he's not exactly the old Robinson Cano, not be an automatic out or an automatic 4-3, you know, do a lot of the little things, give you decent enough defense. They're not relying on his bat as a core situation on this team, as they may have thought they would have to last year, because now you have Pete Alonso and you have Jeff McNeil and you have an emerging Rosario and, and Nimmo's back and Conforto takes the next step, hopefully. So it's a little bit less of an emphasis there. Now with Diaz, there is an emphasis because Diaz is so important. You guys all forget, because everybody talks about the home runs and the struggles and the blown saves and how he was basically benched Mel Rojas style. And if you don't know that reference, go back to 1998 and Bobby Valentine and that uh, former closer that came over. He was benched Mel Rojas style back last September. Uh, Edwin Diaz last year had the third highest K rate in all of baseball behind Josh Hader by about a strikeout per nine innings and a tick behind Matt Barnes of the Red Sox. Uh, he was at over 15 Ks per nine. That's a tremendous amount of missed bats. He's basically striking out two of every three hitters he faces in an inning. And when you miss those kind of bats, uh, that's a big deal. Now, the walks and the command and the getting behind players and, and whether they knew what was coming and the home runs, that's insane. I mean, his home run rate, believe it or not, was higher than haters, but haters was pretty high. I guess the point I was saying, what I'm saying here is that if he could get those walks down by you know, one, you know, half to one and and get ahead of these hitters by establishing the plate, establishing his uh, fastball to a certain degree. Uh, to me, I think he uh, he's going to be every bit the closer that the Mets intended on acquiring. Uh, he'll justify to a certain degree in the short term giving up a top prospect like Jared Kelnick and, and will give the Mets an automatic ninth inning. And if you have what you think you have with some version of Familia, some version of Betances. Uh, Lugo maybe not being as good as last year, but still elite. Justin Wilson fitting a role, and then Gazelman or whatever you have is a long man, Waka, Mats coming in. You have a really good bullpen and, and a lot of options, and Diaz makes the game so much shorter. If Betances and Diaz, forget the other guys, if Betances and Diaz are who they've been at their peak over the last two to three years, forget last year with both of them and their injuries, uh, you have a, a basically a seven-inning game. And with guys like DeGrom and Syndergaard starting and, and, and what have you, that's a powerful thing to have. Now you're shortening the game, and that puts a lot of pressure on the opposition. So you got to be looking at Diaz. He had a bad spring last year. We all ignored it because of the big stuff. Uh, that will not be something w- that we'll be ignoring this year. There's some pressure on him. There'll be pressure on him very early. He'll be on. He'll be a big spotlight very quickly into the season. He'll he'll probably be the one Met who has the most pressure, especially if he starts off as the closer, which I'm assuming they're going to still have a competition. If he has a bad spring, it will be interested to see how the front office and Luis Rojas uh, handles that. And and then you have your your Cespedes situation, where none of the analysis about this Mets club over the last couple of years since Cespedes went down mid 2017 or should I say, excuse me, uh, uh, mid-2018, none of the analysis of this uh, team has been based on having the Cespedes that they signed twice back after the 15 and 16 seasons. None of that analysis. We, we've we written him off. He, he He's a phantom. He might as well be uh, as relevant in, in Mets history uh, at this point or on this roster as Curtis Granderson, who was on the 2015 team, or Daniel Murphy, who was on the 2015 team. But now you're starting to get your juices flowing. You know, Cespedes is doing his own little marketing with videos online. He's showing you that he can run and he can hit. 
And we'll see. I mean, when the games start, what version of Cespedes can you get? If you get the version that you signed after the 15 and the 16 season, wow. That's a bat that you didn't expect, and it gives you a good problem where you have guys that are talented and can hit like a J.D. Davis and a Dom Smith and may not get an opportunity to play. Um, and that's going to be a whole different uh, situation for new manager Luis Rojas. And and potentially you have a guy that uh, could be explosive. I mean, he's probably been the most explosive power hitter that the Mets have had since Mike Piazza. And that's, I don't think I'm, I mean, that's, I said that back in 2016 with the kind of season he had and how the impact he had in 2015 down the stretch. So I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating that situation. So, I mean, that's the third thing. And then, of course, Luis Rojas. And the thing about Luis Rojas is, and I've heard all the criticism, well, if he was so good, you know, why did uh, the Mets pick him, uh, you know, did not pick him in October? And I think, like I said, uh, when we did the Luis Rojas piece a couple of weeks ago, I don't think the Mets had the guts, and I'll say more ownership. I don't know if I think Brody Van Wagenen would fall into that, but I think it definitely ownership to go with the inexperienced, no-name despite the fact he has his uh, family tree with the Aloos, uh after the whole Mickey Calloway situation. I think they were afraid of getting killed by the media and a young guy like this getting swallowed up by the media. So they went with someone who has experience, has baseball experience, would need the front office and a strong bench coach to walk him through. He'd be the face of the team, but he'd also be bringing some uh, coaching value uh, in terms of player development that they felt was important. So... You basically, when it, it's a front office-driven dugout, and this is, make no mistake about it, this is a front office-driven dugout now. Uh, you don't necessarily worry too much about some of the deficiencies of your, your manager because you say, well, I'm going to give you the game plan and we'll walk you through it and we'll have a strong bench coach to help you and what have you. But uh, ultimately, that's not building. And what I've said, if you, if you when Mickey Calloway was fired, you wanted it to be somebody that would be a long-term replacement. And Girardi to, could have been that guy, and he would have brought a lot of cachet. But anybody else you hired, you wanted to be someone that you felt could be here five, six, seven years. Because the Mets, they had that with Terry Collins, but I, I, I don't think people realize how ineffective Terry Collins really was when the bright lights got very bright. Terry Collins was a good caretaker that could handle the veteran club and keep everybody happy and, and keep the peace. But if he didn't have strong veterans, he would not be a very effective manager. And he was fortunate he had that. And he was also in purgatory for a large part of his stewardship because they didn't really seriously compete, let's face it, until things went all their way and they were forced into it in July of 2015. But that's ancient history. So we'll see what Rojas brings. I think you've seen some positive articles about him, his work ethic, his family tree, the players love him. There'll be plenty of challenges with that. He's going to have to make hard decisions, and he's going to have to communicate some decisions that he may have to swallow coming from the front office. And how is he going to handle that? Because the players aren't stupid. They're going to know that. So we'll, we'll be looking for that. It'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Those are some of the early things to look at this spring, the baseball things to look at this spring. There'll be plenty of others. And we'll talk about that and more as we're going to get to Kevin Kerner. We're going to get him here on the line. The traveling salesman of sports media, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, from the New York Post, right after this. 
The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me, uh, America's most beloved sports writer. You guys know him from the New York Post. The early bird gets the worm. And Kevin Kernan, since the Super Bowl, has been down in Port St. Lucie. And quite a bit of information coming out of there. Quite a bit of stuff going on, even though not a single spring training game has happened. Kevin, Welcome to the program, and uh, even though it's been a week that you've been out of sight, and maybe to a lot of fans out of mind, a lot of stuff going on at Port St. Lucie. Yeah, Mike, I've, you know, it's good to talk to you again, and uh, you know, people have been reading the post about a month ahead of anybody else, so, you know, the writers, uh, they come down until the future, I come down early, get a lot of work done. When you went down there and you recently talked about how things have changed with the Mets and you even called it the Mets way, uh, in the shadow of all the stuff that's been going on with the ownership situation, with uh, obviously the sign stealing and, and Beltron and everything, uh, you painted a much different picture of the organization, one in which uh, it seems like they're trying to turn the corner and not everything is negative around the New York Mets. No, you can make it negative if you want. And obviously, there's a lot of negative. I mean, um, the ownership thing fell apart. I'm a little confused, though, because right from the first day when they announced the ownership, they, they made it clear the whole parts would be around for five more years. And uh, all of a sudden, things you know, people think the whole going to disappear. It's not going to happen. Now, uh, a lot of ways, Mets fans got to grow up, you know. They... Uh, they want it both ways all the time. We'll come to the owners. That's life. Deal with it. And uh, that's why the thing I wrote about the Mets way has nothing to do with ownership. The new group in charge, now whether they know what they're doing, we'll soon see. But they certainly made me a right choice in Louis Rojas. Allie Baird has done a terrific job getting, uh, getting the team, um, evaluating over the last year, and then putting together a system that helps really for the future. They, they basically best way I can put it is there was no communications between different levels of uh, minor league clubs, and now they're all on the same page. That's, you know, the Cardinals' way is pretty famous, and the Mets are trying to do that as well. They're trying to make sure that if you learn something in double-A, it's not different when you get to the majors, whether it's signs or, or uh, an approach, uh, mentality. And also, Louis Rojas is a, is a teacher, so, you know, he's he's got, like, 1,600 games managed under his belt. That's 1,600 more than Mickey Calloway had when he came in. 1,600 more than Carlos Beltran had when he came by for a little visit. So, you know, this this, this whole thing about the world is falling, it's snowflakes. Mets fans are snowflakes. Much like with what's going on in society now. Let's deal with it. Move forward. If you don't like it, you know, go go boost for another team. But I'm, I, I personally, AMBS, tired of the whining, and he's not dealing with it anymore. When they need to be crushed, it's like Brody told me the other day. He goes, uh, you know, it, it's nice that, you know, we appreciate the fact that you're, you're being honest and fair with us, but I also know that if you need to let us have it, you will, because I remember that day in Miami when you crushed me, 
and that's the truth. I just write what's really happening. I don't have an agenda. I pay it all, and uh, it's been training. you got to give them a chance. I, I mean, if you look at the lineup, it looks okay. It looks okay. And we all know they got a double-side young winner in uh, DeGrom, and maybe Syndergaard gets his act together. Edwin Diaz, of course, is a key, and I, I dealt with him the other day, spoke to him, told me he's not afraid of New York, which I thought was interesting, and he seems to have a, he's, he's really got a good attitude. He's accountable. We'll see if... Um, they tweak some things with Hefner and maybe get, uh, he needs to knock guys off the plate. It's really that simple. Um, but again, uh, you know, this generation of pitchers, they're a little bit afraid to pitch inside. He had conversations with Dick Martinez, that was made clear to him. So that, that's a little bit of what's going on, Mike. You can check out Kevin at AMBS underscore Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. Don't ask him about that on Twitter. He's talked to you about what that, what that means over probably a billion times. Uh, uh, Kevin, uh, with, with Rojas, uh, the question always comes up, why didn't they pick him back in October? And, and my feeling was that he's a bold pick because of what happened with Callaway, because I think they worry a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit about what the media and the fans say. And he would have been a huge risk. Now the risk was different after the Beltron saga because they were in a pickle. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, why if Rojas was this good and so far, obviously it's, it's early returns. And he's just beloved by the players. Why wouldn't they have just went with him in October? I know that comes up a lot from media and fans. Yeah, it's it's, it's the old second guess, and I don't know. The funny thing is, I was talking to someone to find off about Beltran, and um, and I said, well, you better get a very good bench coach because he'll be managing the team. And they, they at that point, they didn't even grasp the concept that Beltran would be history. I knew right from the start when that started the be history. They, they didn't have the guts to make the pick. That's what I believe was. He was a manager in waiting. They probably would have kept him around, uh, you know, a couple more years uh, to get his feet wet in the major leagues because he's only got one major league uh, coaching here under his belt. Um, and uh, and he probably would have been the next manager if things worked out with Beltran. But uh, you know, the Beltran pick was a good pick in the way that this guy was around baseball. His whole life, he seemed like a manager's life. But he did manage. And he's not a manager, he's a manager. I mean, I, I hate to be so basic and simple, but, uh, you know, Rojas was managed, and like he told me the other day, he said, listen, learn how to lose games in the minor leagues because you got to play development guys, you got to do this, you got to do that. Learn how to win games in winter ball. I've had both experiences, and I think he'll, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be some rough spots. There always is because it's the Mets. There'll be some singles. But I, I find this guy to be accountable, um, knowledgeable, goes the game inside now, grew up around the game. His dad, of course, is Felipe Alou. So it's, uh, it's, it's really a, um, they lucked into something. That's the best way I can put it. They lucked into a good match. Yep, that, that sounds like it. And, you know, Brody Van Wagenen, you mentioned him before. You spoke to him, and uh, you wrote a piece about him at the Post. He's a little bit polarizing, and, and maybe the Mets, and I think you said this, maybe a, a groundbreaking here because now the Knicks are going the agent route. I know agents, they're salespeople. They're viewed negatively in the industry by fans. Um, I, I think Brody's articulate. I think he, he's got a lot on his plate here. Uh, I don't think he's just a, a chief baseball officer. I think he's got his hands on a lot of different things, and I don't know if people understand that, but your impression of spending time with Brody Van Wagenen and, and is all the criticism uh, warranted for, you know, what the perceptions from the outsiders are of him. Yeah, he, he made a lot of mistakes. 
he even admitted to me the other day, he said, listen, I've, uh, one of the many mistakes I've made when he was discussing one subject, you know, and uh, he just didn't, um, he just didn't, you know, he an agent, right? And this, well, this is what I thought very to his face when I wrote a column in, in Miami where I criticized him heavily. He came in as an agent where writers have been kissing his butt for the last 20 years because they want information from him. You run a team, I'm not, you're not getting your butt kissed anymore. You either produce or you don't. And I think he understands that now. It's, it's more of a, uh, every day is a contract sign, basically. And, and if you sign a good contract, you win the game. It's really that simple. And I think he, I think he, um, I think he picked up on some of his, uh, shortcomings. Um, so he, if you step back and look at it, he's got a manager now who knows baseball and knows how to deal with people and relationships and those situations. Mickey, Mickey was a bad choice, uh, in one way. Because um, he didn't have that experience, nobody knew what they were getting, and it, it turned out it wasn't great. So I think Mickey learned some things as time went on. And, the, and Mickey's problem too was in, in Mickey's defense, Mickey had to manage up, meaning he had to manage essentially the Wilpons, and he had to manage down. He had to manage the players in the game. So that's a tough. That's a tough call to do. That's a tough thing to do. And um, he he um, he basically, you know failed at it, and as time went on, he, he, he got a little bit better at the game. They had a good second half, but I think Rojas will help uh, Brody be a better GM because he simply knows the game, and I can't, I can't really, I can't, can't explain how important that is these days. There's so many people in baseball now who don't know anything about baseball. They know they're nerds. They know this. They, and Houston, there's the greatest example ever. I said from the beginning, Mike, and you know you've had me on a long time. And, of course, the AMBS, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, there's a little irony in that, uh, you know, because I'm not afraid to criticize people. But that was nerd-built to the 10th degree. A nerd came up with the idea of, hey, if we do this, we can steal signs. The players went for it because players will always do anything to get themselves in better in a way, even if there is a little bit of cheating involved. And I'm not defending the players. It was a joke what they did. But that was a nerd taking over. Look what you had. You won your World Series, but it's the most tainted World Series ever. You need baseball people to make baseball decisions to win baseball games. You get your you get your technology, you get your help there. There's many ways that they can help you. Like I was looking at the Edgetronics, the, uh, the video, the um, high speed video. I think it's a thousand frames per second. What they can do with the pictures and and how that helps them. That's all great stuff. So I'm not totally against. You know, I'm not against nerd build, but it's got to be used, and it's got to be used by baseball people who understand uh, the ramifications of it. And I think uh, I think I think now Brody has surrounded himself with more baseball people on staff, coaching staff, minor league staffs. Um, you know, 61, uh, 61 uh, members of the organization were here this week. I talked to many of them, and everybody feels pretty good. So you always feel good in spring training. We'll see when the games start. We've got to see what Stroman does, you know, because the world hates him if you read his Twitter feed, you know, and now uh, we'll, see. we'll see how he does. You know, that's a big risk for Brody because he made that trade. Giving up Wheeler, I wanted Wheeler to stay, so I don't agree with that. Um, so there's going to be some. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all develops. But the bottom line is, uh, it should be a dogfight in the East, and we'll see where the Mets go. A couple of quick things before we let you run. Two guys, two really key guys that you spoke to. You mentioned one earlier, Edwin Diaz. Uh, he's. I mean, now that the Mets have a deeper bullpen, I mean, they could probably mitigate 
some downtime with him a little bit more than last year, but they gave up a top prospect. I mean, they all have Jared Kelnick in the Hall of Fame uh, already, you know, uh, pretty much the fans exactly. and a lot of the writers. But uh, Edwin Diaz was one of the best, if not the best, closers in the game. And I have a hard time believing it's all gone just because he put on a New York uniform. Uh, you seem to, to, after your column, you, you painted a little bit more of a positive picture. Uh, why should we be bullish on Edwin Diaz? Well, first of all, he's in better shape. He's been humble. And he understands you can't just come in there and and, and, and just throw things. You've got to have a better plan. It's kind of like Syndergaard. I don't know if you saw what I wrote about with Syndergaard the other day. The Syndergaard's had 10 meetings with the, uh, the analytics people already, 10 sessions out in L.A. where he worked on stuff, and, and Hefner as well, including some of those meetings. Same thing with Diaz. Better plan now. Better, a better plan. And I think uh, he's, he's in better shape, for one thing. There's no doubt Diaz is in better shape. Uh, his scouts told me last year when you got me on, I said scouts told me that his slider was down a little bit. So that's got to get better. Uh, maybe with some uh, mechanical uh, changes, he, he, he picks up the velocity a little bit, and he doesn't throw as straight a fastball. That's the biggest problem. It's so straight uh, he was getting crushed. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if there was a little, um, you know, chicanery going on when people were uh, knowing when he was throwing, whether it was uh, illegal stealing of signs or whatever. But, um, you know, it seems like they were sitting on everything with Diaz. They had him figured out. So he's got to change his sequencing. All that should be done. Now he's got a fresh start, and he doesn't seem timid. That's what I like about it. He's, you know, familiar. Him and familiar are like going by. He's familiar. Lost about thirty pounds, and and we'll see if that helps him at, at all. But uh, you know, I think Diaz will be uh, bounced back. He has, and I've seen it forever. Going back to the Yankees, way, 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 way back. Andy McDaniel. Believers, good year, bad year. Good year, bad year. They say he's due for a good year. Now, if he doesn't pitch well this year. Then we know it's a terrible, terrible trade, and and the Mets uh, really got uh, buffaloed on that one. But I do think he will be better. You portrayed a much more mature Noah Syndergaard in your piece earlier in the week. Um, you know, Noah obviously hit that snag in his career where a lot of you know players have, where they have to define themselves and come back, maybe a little bit of reinvention. Uh, much different player than the guy that was on a horse just a few years ago. Yeah, he's, um, I think, I watched his bullpen yesterday, and it was pretty interesting, um, um, you know, results. He was really kicking the ball down. ball had good movement. Again, he's, you know, he's done the Pilates thing. He's done, like, I think he's got it too bulked up through the years. I think he's, uh, he's still super, you know, looking low, uh, with the muscles and everything, but they're not quite as bulky. I think he'll, um, I think, He's a little more mature. We'll see how it goes on. And also the catching thing. I think he, he brought up with some good valid points. I give Noah credit, but nobody else was willing to say, hey, I need a guy that I feel comfortable with. All the other pitchers were saying that throughout spring training, right from the start, basically. But Noah, you know, Noah stepped up there and uh, seemed to work out his issues with Ramos, so we'll see how that goes forward. So he's the key. You know, I've had scouts tell me he's got the best stuff they've seen Believe it or not, people have said this to me. Best stuff they've seen since Sandy Koufax. That's how that could be Noah. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be Sandy Koufax, obviously, but he could be the kind of guy that could, could throw a no-hitter, and he could be tremendous. He needs to get it together. He knows, He's only a couple of years away from free agency, so, you know, I think it's time they all wake up. It'd be very interesting to see his development this year, and um, he's off to a good start. Came early. 
moved to L.A., you know, work, was uh, working out of there with the CAA pitching group, guys like, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of pitchers from CAA. So he said that he's, uh, you know, he's really ahead of the game. In the past, he would come in and swing training and kind of just wing it. Well, he's not winging it anymore. If he, if, he, uh, if he combines that with the talent he has, it could be interesting. So what are some of the things that you'll be looking at? I'm sure you'll be going over to Yankees camp, uh, back to Mets camp. If you're looking at it from a Mets perspective over the next, you know, 30 days till, uh, you know, get serious, what are some of the other things you think you'll be looking at, maybe the fans should be looking at as we head into the uh, actual uh, spring training games and then the season? Yeah, well, yeah, I'll be bouncing all over, so I'll be checking out the opponents. I'll be able, I'll be in Houston at the end of this week, talking to shooters. I'll be at the Yankees. You know, the Yankees, of course, are super fascinating on all levels. Um, but with the Mets specifically, I really want to see Noah's development and Diaz's development. Those two guys are key. Uh, we talked about that. I want to see McNeil, how he does a third, if he can uh, make that transition. Because for all Todd Frazier's issues, he was a tremendous defender. And you better be able to defend. The Mets guys defend better. Uh, Rosario, I'm going to do something special on what he's done, the adjustments he's made to get better with Gary DiSocina, the third base coach. Really some um, interesting stuff. And that was a good thing, too, when I went on the, the Mets way. I, I, I visited all the different um, – stations they had and what they were trying to uh, impress upon uh, the players. And, of course, we got the Cespedes ordeal. I call them a deal because you never know with this guy. Uh, you know, um, as we've seen, anything can happen with him, uh, good or bad. The good news is he's motivated. When he's motivated, he's, he's a great, he can be a great player. If he comes in and can cut, that's the thing the fans need to look I don't want to hear anything about he's running, he's, you know, he's running the bases, he's doing this. You got to make the see, you got to see if, if Cespedes can make a quick cut in the outfield and if his ankles hold up. That's the key. So we may not learn about him because he may not go full strength in the outfield all sprint. So that's going to be, that's going to be an ongoing situation. So it, it's going to be an interesting spring training. Um, I'm really interested to see how the, uh, off, well, off the Mets, you know, what, what the Astros do. Because I was at the game, the playoff game, when they lost game five, when they lost two games in Tampa. They come out in game five and they killed Glassdale. Four runs in the first inning, they were on every pitch. And I know fans can't understand this in a lot of ways. They didn't understand this very how much it helped the players. But if you know what pitch is coming and you're a major league hitter, it's going to make you an incredible hitter. I, you know, and uh, and to me, it's, it's just as bad, if not worse, than steroids. So I'm really curious to see how good the Bregmans of the world are now that things have changed. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating, you know, they ruin baseball every year a little bit, you know, uh, ownerships <laughs> and uh, commissioners. They try to kill the game every way they can. You know, I did the piece, I don't know if you happen to see the piece I did on Jackie Robinson ballpark. Yeah. Basically throwing Jackie Robinson out of the minor leagues, you know, the first ballpark that he played in where where he played his first professional game, you know. And then, of course, in their infinite wisdom, Major League Baseball decided to get rid of 42 game, uh, teams. You know, 42 is Jackie Robinson's number, of course. And so you would think somebody in a meeting would have said, hey, let's get rid of 41 teams, or let's get rid of 43 teams. But the lawyers have uh, pretty much ruined baseball. I'm hoping that the pendulum starts to swing the other way uh, with this Houston stuff and more baseball people get involved running teams and it gets back to being a great game again. I'll say before I let you run, uh, the one thing I didn't hear you say is 
is Pete Alonso for real? Because I, I think that's another thing. Everyone's waiting for the slump. They're waiting for the catch. Uh, does America's most beloved sports writer believe Pete Alonso is for real, or is he Bob Hamlin? Do we look at the sophomore slump or uh, Ben Grieve or someone like that? No, I, I didn't even bring it up because I have no doubt that he's for real. I mean, if, if you watch him play, this guy, and I did, again, head of the curve. You know, I, I talked about him last spring. I wrote about him heavily right from the beginning. He had an approach. He has a great approach. Hits the ball the other way. The only way he wouldn't be for real if he suddenly started believing all the stuff that's written about him and he started trying to yank everything. But he hits the ball all fields. He scorches the baseball. The baseball may be down a little bit this year because getting back to what I was saying earlier about how they try to ruin the game different ways. You know, last year that baseball was crazy. But obviously, Alonzo has the power to hit the ball out no matter what kind of baseball they use. Yeah, I think Alonzo, to me, you know, I have no doubts about Pete Alonzo following up his sophomore year. I do have a couple doubts about McNeil because he seems to get hurt here and there. So he needs to stay healthy. He had the wrist injury. But Alonzo, the Mets are very lucky to get – and again, much like Louis – let's make that comparison. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, they didn't know what they had in Pete Alonzo. They had no clue. And maybe they don't know what they had in Louis Rojas either. Because the players love right. him for – because he fooled them accountable. Isn't that something? And, uh, you know, I've had more than one player tell me that. So it's not like uh, Rojas is coming in and he's a good guy and they just love him because he's let lets him get away with stuff. No, he holds him accountable and demands excellence and, and of himself and the players. So maybe the Mets will learn their organization a little better now, too, with this Mets way. And they'll know that they have a guy in Peter Alonso, so they don't have to make goofy trades when they already got somebody that can carry, you know, carry the offense. And, and maybe, maybe – in the future, maybe I'll give them more, uh, maybe to keep a Kalanick or something like that. I'm not saying Kalanick is the guy, because I, I, I don't have any problem with the Diaz trade if Diaz is Diaz. I think I think no Mets fans would have complained last year if Diaz was Diaz and he gets him to the playoffs. I think the Mets fans would have been fine with that trade. So um, yeah. know your organization better. It's one of my principles. Know your own organization better than you know any other team. If the Mets do that, then uh, and I, I believe they're starting to do that, then they'll be in better shape. We always enjoy seeing where you are next at AMBS underscore Kernan. Do not keep it. Do never filter it. Keep it unfiltered, Kevin, and we'll talk again. All right, my friend? You got it, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Kevin Kernan, New York Post, at AMBS underscore Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. Mets fans need to grow up. I couldn't say it better myself. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. We like to dive deep into topics on the Talking Mets podcast, like when ESPN's Jeff Passan, author of the book The Arm, described witnessing an actual Tommy John surgery. I, I, I was taken by it, frankly, by seeing uh, the, the precision, like you said, of what Neil Elitrash, uh, the surgeon, did with Todd Coffey. And I don't want to give too much away here, but I felt like that, that first chapter... Uh, that it was important to put that as the first chapter because I think it illustrates the uh, the, the tension and uh, the difficulty and all of the things that this entails. And it, it feels like, I, I don't know if it does feel like it, I tried to make it feel like an episode of like a medical drama. Uh, that's what it felt like when I was in there. Like, oh my God, is this going to work? Uh, you know, there was nothing manufactured there. It was an intense surgery and 
Uh, I think there were points at which people were afraid that things were going to go sideways. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. You can never say that Kevin Kernan holds back. Because between him saying Mets fans need to grow up, calling front office people nerds, basically uh, calling out pretty much anything that annoys him. Kevin's at a point in his career where he will not hold back. He will not worry about people's feelings. But he's right. And uh, there was pretty much everything he said I agreed with on uh, on that segment. I do think, and we could get into that another time, I do think there is a need to... Uh, if not consolidate minor league baseball, maybe uh, tweak some of the towns that minor league baseball's in as far as what level of minor league baseball. But that's another conversation and another story for another day. But some real quick things I, I took away. I I think that the uh, the analysis on Rojas versus Beltron, I think he's right. I think Rojas was a guy that they were going to try to keep around, and eventually they felt as he got more experience on a big league coaching staff, would become the manager. In a lot of ways, Beltron would have been the prototypical front office manager because uh, he would bring some value with his persona, with his face to the media, uh, the coaching experience, and some of the small nuanced things that he brought over from his time in the big leagues as well as his time in the Yankees front office. And and the front office would basically fill out the lineup and have a very experienced bench coach work for him. So there were some pitfalls to that, as you heard what Kevin said, and he didn't feel that Beltron was going to be the long-term guy, but be that as it may, uh, that's history now. Luis Rojas and the Mets may have lucked into that uh, that situation. His comments on Syndergaard are very exciting because for scouts to compare Syndergaard to Sandy Koufax and his stuff and the kind of dominance that you saw, albeit in a short span of time from Koufax back in the 60s, is exciting. And I go back to what I said in the open. If Syndergaard could be closer to 2016... The Mets legitimately have a one-two punch that at no point last year did they have. Forget all the stuff with Wheeler and the advanced analytics. I'm not here to trash Wheeler. I'm not. I agree with Kevin. I would have loved for the Mets to re-sign Wheeler. They didn't see the value in the five years and the $118 million, and they felt that that was not a good investment long-term. They wanted him on a shorter deal. I firmly believe that. We've moved on. He's in Philadelphia, and we've moved on. At no point except for that second half in 2018 when Wheeler pitched every bit, if not better, than DeGrom. And you saw how dominant the Mets were as they had the best record, or they were right there with the Braves, if I remember correctly, in the second half of the 2018 uh, season. That kind of one-two punch is what was lacking last year. And if Syndergaard could replicate that with his new work ethic, his new approach to things, that's a really exciting thing, a real difference maker. Uh, along with some of the other things that are are going on out there. So it'll be interesting to see what transpires over the next six weeks or so, what kind of information comes out of there, what kind of stories comes out of there. And like I said in the open, what I really hope, and I'm really hoping for this, is that the Mets can focus on, and we as as a fan base, and I hope the media, because there's a lot of good going on there, can focus on the team. If you're going to be a publication and you know those publications out there, I don't have to put them out here on the program, like the Daily News, that wants to focus on carnival negativity and LOL Mets reporting, then I would, I would, 
I would say go to those publications, but don't expect you to enjoy the season or get a realistic take of what's going on. There is a lot of positive stuff. You heard Kevin talk about the Mets way and how the Mets are trying to get consistency from each level. These are things that Brody Van Wagenen is trying to bring as basically the CEO. I know Jeff Wilpon's the COO, but Brody Van Wagenen from a baseball perspective is trying to be the CEO of this whole thing and get everybody on the same page and get everybody collaborating and getting everybody to work and row in the same direction. And he's got good baseball people underneath, underneath him. He's got a good roster. He's coming off a really good draft, at least in the first three rounds. Let's see how certain players develop across different levels this year. There's a lot to be positive about. If you want to go talk to former employees, if you want to go talk to scouts and certain baseball writers that don't like agents, or like you heard Kevin say, now that they don't uh, have to get information from said agent, or maybe if I'm saying this now, if they didn't get said information when said person was an agent, and now they have an axe to grind when he's in a position of power, you want to take those reports seriously, that's on you. But we have to move past because we got caught up in this nonsense last year. And it was a big theme on the program, especially for the first three months of the season, especially when the Mets were struggling, about the media and the media's role and being careful about what you see coming out of those reports because they're agenda-driven. We know that. You've been listening long enough. You could go back and listen to those podcasts from 2019. You could listen and think back and see how things transpired. And I think a lot of what I said if not all of it turned out to be true, I was on the money. Not always right. I'm going to be wrong. But a lot of what I said over the last couple of years is true because I'm really being thoughtful about what I put out there. I don't just try to shoot from the hip uh, with these things. I really try to take a step back and think about it and say, does this make sense? And try to talk to different people. And of course, there's also my opinion, but I'm trying to base it on as much information and knowledge out there. So uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about. This was a, an invigorating show. I hope you hear it in my voice. I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready to start seeing this team take shape and, and, the, and the stories and the challenges and all the things that come with really now beginning the quest to have a playoff bound and perhaps a championship team. And uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for you guys to be part of it. And as I said earlier, uh, I wanted just to give you a quick update. So now that we're back on the, the weekly uh, schedule, unless there's breaking news, and I look, we've had two emergency broadcast alerts on this program in the last month, uh, tons of shoot-off shows. Uh, I'd like it to be a weekly recap, a real meat and potatoes podcast with a lot of value. I do think at various points during this season, as we have days off on a Monday or a Thursday or a day game earlier in the day and there's some significant news, we may push the podcast up and try to do something a little earlier. I want to have the most fresh content at the most opportune time. That's really what I would like, and I'm hoping to mix it up a little bit with that, especially considering the Mets will be playing some national broadcast on a Sunday night. And you really want to get a thorough recap and a real meat and potatoes podcast. So obviously stay tuned every week for the Talking Mets podcast. Whatever feed you're using, continue to use it. You'll get the alerts and the updates. And just know, with the exception of a few breaks here and there, we're going to be doing something every week. So I'm going to be coming into your feed, and we're going to be uh, having a lot of fun every week from now until the end of the baseball season. I want to thank Kevin Kernan of the New York Post for joining me today. Of course, you could check him out on Twitter, at A-M-B-S underscore Kernan. You can check him out with his convertible on Twitter as he drives away after doing a Talking Mets podcast segment. Uh, I want to thank you, the listeners. You can contact me on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media, also at Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And you can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's a nice day out there. Get out there and have some fun. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, be well, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.